A reading from the Gospel of St. Mark, beginning at the 13th chapter, the first verse. As he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings. Then Jesus asked him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. When he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will this be? And what will be the sign that all these things are about to be accomplished? Then Jesus began to say to them, beware that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name and say, I am he, and they will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is still to come. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. This is but the beginning of the birth pangs. These are our sacred stories. Thanks be to God. If you were here last week and you took a stone home, has it been speaking to you? Have you been listening? It can be hard work listening to stones. And so we're at it again today, practicing this time with Jesus and the disciples as our companions. Just before this morning's election, at the end of Mark chapter 12, we read, as Jesus taught, he said, beware of the religious leaders who like to walk around in long robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for the sake of appearance, say long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and watched the crowd putting money into the treasury. Many rich people came and put in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which were worth a penny. Then he called his disciples and said to them, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Jesus is standing in the temple courtyard with his disciples shortly after asking them to notice a widow, a widow who is surrendering her last two coins to the temple treasury. I think we need to notice her too. This widow needs our focused attention before we will be able to hear the stones of our election. It's only been a couple of days since Jesus was turning over tables in the temple and declaring that the religious leaders had made the temple a den of robbers and thieves. And now Jesus with his disciples sits opposite the treasury watching the crowd put their money in. 
when the widow arrives and gives to the point of impoverishment, she gave her last two coins, all she had to live on. Throughout church history, this widow's giving has at times been held up as an example of charity, the way we should all give. But Jesus's attitude appears more one of despair and indictment. This is an insider critique. Jesus and the disciples are all Jewish. Jesus knows that the religious leaders of his time, much like the religious leaders of our time, have strayed from the calling of God. The First Testament is replete with the theme of God's concern for the widows and the poor and the responsibility of the people of God to care for the poor. In Deuteronomy 10, for example, we read, For the Lord your God executes justice for the orphan and the widow. In Isaiah, it becomes clear that this mission of care and justice is not being carried out. Your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. They do not defend the orphan, and the widow's cause does not come before them. And then as you heard, Jesus says just before noticing the widow that his own religious leaders devour widows' houses. Inside the temple, Jesus asks the disciples to notice the widow. And when the widow leaves, so do Jesus and his disciples. The disciples are noticing, perhaps not the oppression of the widow, but rather the splendor of the temple. Once they're outside, one of them says, look, Rabbi, what large stones and what large buildings. Josephus, a first century historian, noted that the Jerusalem temple of Jesus' day was truly magnificent. The temple's retaining walls were composed of stones 40 feet long. So much gold covered the outside that anyone who gazed at the walls in bright sunlight risked being blinded. No doubt it was impressive, but Jesus is not impressed. Do you see these great buildings, he asks? Of course they see them. The disciples just pointed them out to Jesus. No, Jesus says, do you really see them? Do you see what they represent? The oppression that built them, the suffering they've engendered? like the suffering of the widow who was required to give everything to the point of exploitation. Do you see these great buildings? The disciples see greatness. They see permanence. They see glory. They see a home for God. They see glittering stones that blind and bolster. But Jesus in a moment of insight, sees what will be. He sees ruins, destruction, fragility, not permanence, grief, not glory. Not one stone will be left here upon another, he laments. All will be thrown down. This passage from Mark's gospel is often described as apocalyptic. It's part of a collection of apocalyptic sayings and in the case of Revelation, an entire book that are found in our Bible. The word apocalyptic 
makes me think of Apocalypse Now and Clockwork Orange and 12 Monkeys and that whole list of horrible movies like The Mailman and Waterworld. It conjures up memories of youth camp and horrific and fear-mongering imaginings about the end times. I think of things like The Mark of the Beast and The Four Horsemen Warfare. The word apocalypse makes me think of nothing pleasant. It conjures nothing of hope, of love, of care. But apocalypse is a Greek word, and it translates most literally to an uncovering. In the context of religious texts like our Bible, the word is most often used in relation to a holy disclosure holy disclosure of information or knowledge, usually through some sort of prophetic dream or vision. An apocalypse provides insight. It uncovers divine truth. In 2016, American author and social activist Adrian Marie Brown wrote the following in reference to racial injustice in the Black Lives Matter movement. She wrote, things are not getting worse. They're getting uncovered. We must hold each other tight as we continue to pull back the veil. This to me is a description of biblical apocalypse. Things are getting uncovered and we must hold each other tight as we pull back the veil. To experience an apocalypse is to experience fresh sight. It is revelation, it is epiphany. Our Covenant Anti-Racist Book Club has just started reading Native, Identity, Belonging, and Rediscovering God by Caitlin Curtis. We meet on Friday via Zoom at one, and it's not too late to join if you'd like to join us. On Friday, we'll be discussing chapters three and four. Curtis weaves a poetic uncovering of her own identity as a Padawatami woman. She speaks of a hike with her partner and her two children on a cold January day. She notes, I had an epiphany that moment when the lens of my life zoomed out and I saw truly for the first time what Padawatami people once experienced, a history of forced removal from Indiana into Kansas with the trail of death. In that moment, I was reminded of the women who walked, nursing their babies along the way, some 660 miles. Just as I stood there nursing my one-year-old son in the middle of a wooded area, the trees breathing over and around us, I suddenly understood what it meant to be Padawatami. I felt the weight of my entire body center down in my feet as if my steps were slow motion, engaging the pulse of the earth with every movement. I suddenly understood that mystery speaks to us when we are least expecting it. There with one son by my side and one at my breast, I knew that the journey ahead of me would be different from the one behind me. That's how epiphanies work, after all. 
Once they return to the car, she takes out a journal and begins to write. She says, I wrote about hope and a new beginning birthed along the edge of the creek on a cold winter day. A hope that transformed the entire world right before my eyes and brought me to myself in a way that I'd never known was possible. That brought me to the reality of a God who sees and gives us the gift of seeing. To me, this is a beautiful description of biblical apocalypse. This is an uncovering, a revelation a bringing forth of the reality of a God who sees and gives us the gift of seeing. Sometimes this gift comes with destruction or deconstruction or at least some heavy remodeling. Jesus offers his disciples and readers and listeners through the generations just such an apocalyptic vision. He invites us all to look beyond the grandeur of any building and recognize that God will not be domesticated, that God will not be confined, that God will not be limited. God is not bound by mortar and stone. God exceeds every edifice, every institution, every effort to contain and control. God is found in justice and care, not piety and power. God is all the love in the universe, love let loose and untamable, wild love in the world. And this God helps us to see. James Baldwin said it this way, not everything that's faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it's faced. And so we need an apocalypse. Not the kind we think of in modern culture, but a biblical apocalypse, an uncovering, a revelation. There are many reasons to despair. We could let exhaustion keep us from ever even making an attempt. But Jesus begs us to notice that there's work to be done and that we must join in the work. We are called to hold each other tight and to allow the veil to part and the walls to fall. This is the way of peace. This is the way of hope and healing, the way of embodying God's love on earth. Last Sunday during education hour, we were invited into the experiences and memories of a Holocaust survivor, Miss Edith Mintzberg a friend and neighbor of Bill and Pat Martin. And then after worship, many of us walked to the Holocaust Museum. On our way up to the building, we noticed that there were stones lying on each square on that vertical section of the roof. Each square has a town name and there's a stone there. We asked our docent about the stones and he explained the Jewish tradition of leaving a stone at a grave site that the stone serves two purposes. As a calling card, I was here, and as a tangible piece of remembrance. Leaving a visitation stone is an act of remembering. 
of being present. I've been thinking a lot about stones, as you know. I didn't plan to talk about stones last week, and even though they're part of this Sunday's lection, I didn't plan to talk about them today either, and yet here we are, because my stones won't be quiet. I told you they're everywhere, in my car, piled on shelves, covering the top of the dryer, found mostly before the clunking brings me running to excavate them. Last week, I took a new one home. It's lovely, black with a white line. It's been the loudest. It's a bit hard to make out what it's saying, but it's something about what makes for peace. And it's not grandeur or glory. It's grit and compassion. It's uncovering apocalypse, revelation, epiphany. Not everything that's faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it's faced. We have much to face and change is possible. Peace is ever before us and in us. We must notice the injustice before we can change it. The stones that were left from last week have been gathered and here they are, but they're ready to be spread out once more. Maybe there's a stone you need to take today. Maybe there's something you need to construct. Maybe there's something you need to tear down. Maybe there's something you need to notice or return to noticing. A stone or two will help take as many as you need. Maybe you need to take a stone that you will leave as a calling card, as proof that you're here. Maybe you need a remembrance stone. Maybe you need a stone that will begin to pave a new path of peace that you will walk, having had your own apocalypse, your own uncovering of the way forward. You are not alone. God's wild and untamable love is here for each and every one of us. Amen.